task it is. I used to tell my daughters when they were still at home that, hey, I've never done this before. This is really on-the-job training as we go through, and so I want to extend our blessings to you. But I also recognize that with a holiday such as Father's Day and some of these uh, man-made holidays, uh, there are those of us who perhaps didn't have a great memory of our fathers, and I want to encourage you today that uh, God the Father is the perfect Father. In fact, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 68, beginning in verse 4, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exalt before him. Listen to verse 5. A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prosperous or leads out the prisoners into prosperity. So be encouraged. The almighty living God is active and sovereign, and he is not allowing anything to escape his notice. So be encouraged this day also. If you take your copy of Scripture and turn to the little letter of Ephesians, Ephesians in the New Testament, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We have reached the middle of the uh, last chapter, and uh, we will continue our study there today. I want to read for you to set the context again. We began this section last week, and we will continue week by week through this section. But uh, just know that the Apostle Paul was very famous for his long sentences And so if you were reading this in a Greek Bible, the sentence would begin in verse 14 and end at verse 20. That is one sentence. And so if you're into grammar and diagramming sentences, there's your homework for this week, is to diagram that very long sentence. But anyway, I'll begin in verse 10. We covered part of this last week. But uh, if you are able, would you stand as an act of worship for the reading of God's word this morning? Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth and make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you have given to us. Thank you for your loving kindness, your grace, and your mercy this day. And thank you that you are the all-powerful, sovereign God And you are carrying out all of history to completion and consummation. And in your perfect will, this is the perfect way that you're doing things. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the supply of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer and leads us in the truth, who teaches us, who is our comforter, and who indwells each believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for this passage of scripture this morning. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is our teacher, and we pray that we would allow you to apply your truth in your word, that we would be open to that and engaged in your truth today, and that we would recognize that there are very practical applications of your word for us. Thank you for each one here. We thank you for our guests who've come today on this Father's Day. Thank you, and we pray that they would also uh, just be blessed by being with believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, for sitting under the teaching of your word, for interacting and fellowshipping with one another. We thank you for this church and for your sustainment and your sustenance over all the decades. And we thank you, Lord, that as you give us our days, that you will energize us and give us the power we need each day for days of godliness. And thank you, Lord, for your people, for the children downstairs, for the children in the nursery, and for those who minister to them and care for them. And we pray that each one would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do thank you for the freedom we enjoy. What a blessing to be able to come to a campus and not fear persecution or the police coming in. And Lord, we thank you for that in this country. And we do pray for our president and others in leadership that they would have a heart to seek your wisdom. And Lord, that we as believers in this country would really contribute in a positive way to a national conversation in very adverse times. And Lord, I thank you that you are the almighty God and you are the one who raises up kings and takes them down and that our trust is fully in you. And Lord, uh, prevent us from placing our trust in uh, chariots and horses and other strong things. And Lord, uh, we praise you that you are the almighty God. Thank you for our military men and women around the world. We pray for those, especially in harm's way, for those believers that they would have a strong testimony of your grace in their lives. And, Lord, that many would come to know Jesus as Savior within our military because of that. Lord, thank you for your movement among your people. And thank you, Lord, that you are never sleep and that you are always active and alive. I thank you, Lord, for the fathers represented here today. We pray for them for encouragement, especially those who are still rearing children at home. And pray for persistence, for consistency, for joy and great love as they continue this process of parenting. And Lord, uh, thank you, Lord, for each one here. And for those who have been away and have been traveling, thank you for their safe arrival back. And we praise you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And the fact is that you are always a good God. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. I was thinking about uh, the fact of uh, the issue of we're always in spiritual warfare. The Bible declares it, even though we may not sense it or be aware of it on a day-to-day -day basis or very actively, or uh, we may even rarely think of that possibility. And yet the Apostle Paul, in this central passage in Ephesians, really addresses the issue of spiritual warfare. And uh, up until this time, uh, we recognize that uh, it does take courage to be a believer, especially in our culture and society, which, as I read church historians, is very similar to first century Rome in some senses in the West here in the 21st century. And, of course, the church has always faced uh, adverse circumstances, and Satan is always trying to destroy his church, uh, Lord Jesus Christ's church. And so we recognize that here today. Uh, again, I was reading about a conflict, a military conflict, that happened in the 1960s. It was between Indonesia and Malaysia. At that time, the British Empire was still uh, overseeing Malaysia and had a lot to do with Malaysia. And when Malaysia was setting up shop in the island of Borneo, 
on the northern half of Borneo. The Indonesians resisted that, and there was uh, armed insurrection, if you will, and there was some conflict that was going on. And in 1964, uh, one of the allies of the British in Malaysia were the Gurkhas from Nepal, and the Gurkhas had a reputation of being fierce warriors. And uh, they were asked uh, by the British uh, officer if they'd be willing to jump from transport airplanes into the combat against the Indonesians if the need arose. And the Gurkhas uh, had the right to turn down the request uh, because they had not been trained as paratroopers. And, but they considered it, and they usually agreed to just about anything. But on that occasion, uh, they provisionally rejected the plan. But then the next day, as they thought about it, uh, their officer sought out the British officer that made the request, and uh, he discussed the matter further with him. And he said, we would be prepared to jump under certain conditions. And the officer, British officer, said, well, what are those conditions? And the Gurkha officer told them that they would jump from the airplane if the land on which they were the landing zone was relatively marshy and soft with no rocky outcrops. They were inexperienced at falling, he said. And the British officer considered this and said that the drop area would certainly be over jungle with no rocky outcrops, so it seemed all right. What else would there be? And the Gurkha responded and said, we want the aircraft to fly as slowly as possible, no more than 100 feet off the ground. And the British officer pointed out that the planes always flew as slow as possible when dropping troops, but jumping from 100 feet would be impossible because the parachutes would not have time to open. Oh, said the Gurkha NCO, that's all right then. We will jump with parachutes anywhere. You didn't mention parachutes before. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think the Christian life is uh, like, we think like the Gurkha that uh, spiritual warfare is we have no resources and no parachutes and we're just jumping from 100 feet off the ground. We could use some of their Gurkha-like courage, couldn't we, and commitment if that. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, you are already in combat. I have news for you because the Bible declares it. If you're not a Christ follower this morning, then the other option is you're a prisoner of war. And that's what uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about here. But there are three realities that can change your life here today about this. And the fact is there's the provision of resources for the spiritual warfare. There is the picture of the resource, and then there is the presence of this resource in your life. We looked briefly last week at verses 10 through 13, and that set the stage for us. And remember the Apostle Paul in this, uh, up to this point in the letter of Ephesians, he's laid out our great spiritual wealth in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6, how we live out using that wealth or walking. He uses the metaphor of walking or living as a lifestyle. And so for Christians, there's very real application in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And this is where we've been camping for some time now. But I want you to remember your resources that God gives us in chapters 1 through 3. But he used this metaphor of walking in chapter 4, verse 1, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, 8, and 15. And uh, we're to walk with wisdom and unity and all those things. And now he changes the metaphor and he tells us if you were listening to that, be strong in verse 10, be strong. That's the imperative verb there that we are to be strong. And then he changes the metaphor when he tells us to stand firm, stand firm. We've been walking up to this point, living out. Now there's an aspect of standing firm and he talks about it. 
The equipment we have is listed in chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. We'll look at each element of that equipment over the next few weeks. And in this process, we are going to see that we are provisioned for the combat. We are provisioned for the conflict. And the first one is truth. Again, look at verse 14. It says, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, with truth. That is one of the elements of the armor of God. The source of our strength is to be strong in verse 10. Just a little bit of review here. Notice in verse 10, he uses the word that's related to strength. Three different Greek words here. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. He used the same three words in chapter 1, verse 19. Let me read that for you. Chapter 1, verse 19. He's mentioning here the position we have in Jesus Christ, verse 19 of chapter 1, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength and his might. So here we have the almighty God. He is not limited in his power. He is infinite, and this is the strength that we appropriate. That's the source of our strength. We are to be strong in the Lord. Notice in in verse 10, and in the strength of his might. Not in our might. We are weaklings. We are the proverbial 90-pound weakling on the beach when the bully kicks sand in our face. It's the fact that we are strength not in ourselves, but in what God has provided. And then the source is found in verse 11, the source of our stability. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. As we said last week, this devil has many schemes or Uh, methods of attacking God's people. We are to put on, we are to put on, that's the next imperative, put on the full armor of God. And here this full armor, the, the word is panoply or panoplia, and it means all weapons, the whole weapons of God, the armor of God. And he names six pieces of armor here and weaponry that Roman soldiers wore into combat. And of course, this was Paul's context in the first century. At the time he was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was chained to a Roman guard in Rome. And so he was being held, and he had a lot of uh, illustrations from the gear or the equipment that the Roman army wore. And of course, all over the Middle East, the then known world, it was very apparent uh, what a Roman soldier looked like in all their pieces. Well, this is not a message about the historical elements of Roman armor, but the Apostle Paul uses it to illustrate, he uses it to illustrate the real weapons of our warfare. And the source of our struggle is found in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. For our struggle, and that word struggle means wrestling, it's like hand-to-hand combat, if you will. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the source of our struggle. It's not against human beings, even though that is our focus many times, especially recently in our country. We think it's the evil people that are doing us in, when really they're just pawns of the real enemy, and our struggle is against these things. And what about this enemy, Satan, and his demonic forces. They are powerful, they are wicked, they are cunning, or they have schemes, as it says in verse 11. And so the recognition that Satan is very active, in fact, it tells us, the Bible tells us that Satan spends his time, he is called the accuser, accusing us before the throne of God in heaven. I don't know how that all works, but he has myriads and myriads of demonic forces to do his bidding 
in this world. So they are powerful, wicked, and cunning. And there's then verse 13, we have the command, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Take up that full armor. Divine enablement and coupled with human cooperation, which is interesting that it is up to us to take on God's provision. Earlier on, we saw that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 5, verse 18, and that is being cognizant of the influence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so here it is the command to stand firm. So the question is, in verse 14, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth. And, of course, he's talking about the belt or the equipment that the Roman soldier would put on first, which would gather up any loose tunics or clothing, and every, all the other equipment would hang from that piece of armor. And uh, he uses it to illustrate truth. It's got to go on first before anything else does. And so what about truth? You know, we live in an age where truth is very fluid or supposed truth is very fluid. What's true for you may not be true for me. It's it's, a, it's an age of pluralism. We don't understand many things, and yet our society is definitely going the other way. Well, as you read about, uh, especially in theology and philosophy, about the issue of truth, this is called the correspondence theory of truth. It's got to correspond to our reality, to our experience. Truth means that the facts conform to reality. Truth identifies things as they truly are. I think bottom line is all of us know when there is truth and when there is untruth. We are designed that way, and yet properly defined in relation to God, truth is, and I'm quoting here, the perfection of his being by virtue of which he fully answers to the idea of the Godhead. He is perfectly reliable in his revelation, and God sees things as they exactly are, unquote. It means that he is the true God in distinction to all other supposed gods. There are none like him. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, declares this in chapter 44 and 45. He is true in his word and his revelation is reliable. And the fact is, is that God can be trusted. As you read through scripture, it repeatedly talks about the trustworthiness of God. He is a good God. He is a gracious God. He is a loving God, but he is also a God who's carrying out his perfect plan. He knows things how they are. He is the beginning of all knowledge, and he makes it available to man in order that we would have fellowship with him. And here God has revealed himself. When we think of revelation, we think of God revealing himself to human beings. And there are three corridors of revelation from God to man. The first one is through creation. God has revealed himself through creation. And if Romans 1 tells us that we look out and there's got to be a creator of all of this. And uh, just the other night, the storm that came through and the rainbows and the, and the clouds and the beauty of it all, it's just not by chance. God created this. And so first revelation is creation. That's called general revelation. And then there was specific revelation in his word. He has given us his word, this uh, really, you know, this, this book is infinite, even though it's finite in the number of words it has, but it's infinite in the sense it reveals who God is, so it is specific. And then there is special revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, who came as the God-man, the perfect God-man to earth, and we have the record of that here. And so God has revealed himself, and he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He is truth in his person. He is completely and perfectly 
uh, God. He is without any kind of a, a, a peer. God is truth in his revelation. He is reliable. Unlike mere mortals as we are, God cannot lie. He speaks the truth, fulfills everything he has promised to do. That was one thing our missionary Olivier Melnick uh, reminded us of when he was here a few weeks ago, is that God has fulfilled perfectly the prophecies up to a certain point, and he has more promises left, and his record shows that he is going to complete all of his promises. God is true, and he will never put away his promises. He will never default on them. And Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life, John 14, 6. He declared himself to be the very essence of truth. His words are reliable. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, even though the world and maybe your experience doesn't make any sense and the adversity is difficult, God does not lie. He knows absolutely, truly what is happening and what is going on in your life. He can be trusted, and he will never renege on a promise uh, that he has made. And so we come here to remind ourselves of what we possess. Here God says that we are to uh, appropriate this truth in, in life. The word truth that's here in chapter 6, verse 14, can either refer to the content of absolute truthful, true, okay? We talk about truth. God's truth is contained in his word, but also has the meaning of truthfulness in the sense that both of these aspects that we are not to be tossed about with every wave of doctrine, wind of doctrine, and trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. Instead, we are to embrace sound doctrine and always speak the truth in love. So there's kind of a double-edged thing here that, yes, God is true, and there's the doctrine of truth, and we seek truth, and we want to be truth. And the fact is, as believers in Christ, we have possessions which reflect that truthfulness in our lives. We are given all spiritual blessings, chapter 1, verse 3. We are accepted in the beloved, chapter 1, verse 6. We are granted the forgiveness of sins, chapter 1, verse 7. We are adopted as full-fledged sons, in chapter 1, verse 5. We are given wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, again in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And part of the incredible mystery with that, we are part of the incredible mystery that was planned before the foundation of the world. In chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. Chapter 1, verses 13 tells us we were sealed in the Holy Spirit, that nothing can break that seal. We are granted to do power beyond what we were, can imagine in chapter 1 and chapter 3. We were given the capacity of expressing God's power through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in chapter 3 and 5. And so this armor is forged and furnished by God. This armor is not something that we invent, that we have to design and manufacture, but it is appropriated what God has done, what God is doing with us. And so, in fact, it is reflective of back in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. It talks about God himself donning this kind of armor. It says there, also righteousness will be the belt around his loins and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The truth is here included in the armor shown that the author in the exercise of truth, that integrity and trustworthiness are the essential components of his readiness to struggle with the powers that are in rebellion. I need to remind you again that uh, we in our culture are shot through with Far Eastern mysticism. And so because of various aspects, uh, there is this popular notion that God is one power and Satan and evil is another power and they're equal and opposite and they're always in uh, 
war with each other, but we need to remember that God is supreme. He is God. There is no other God. Satan is an angelic being. Lucifer, as Isaiah tells us, who fell because of pride and took a demonic force with him. Yes, he's powerful, but he's not all-powerful. God is all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. God is all-knowing. He is not everywhere present. God is everywhere present. So we need to remember and put Satan in his place. But yet remember, Satan has had thousands and thousands of years of experience at being the adversity adversary and also being one who knows what our weaknesses are. And so the recognition that the Apostle Paul is telling us. So what is the picture of truth in our life? How does it work? Well, there's this aspect of absolute doctrinal truth, which we say we believe, but then there is this personal integrity that comes our way. We are commanded in verse 14 to stand firm in his full armor. And the therefore, in verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the day. Stand firm, therefore, verse 14. It goes back to review verses 10 through 13. That's the therefore. We need to be determiners of the truth and recognize where truth is sourced. Uh, George Will, many of you read his writings, but he writes about baseball, and he wrote a book called Men at Work, which is kind of funny anyway, but uh, Men at Work in baseball. It's like, I think Dave Johnson told me, you know, they say play ball when they start. They don't say work ball. So... Anyway, he writes, he writes about one of the greatest umpires of baseball history, and his name was Babe Pinelli. And Babe Pinelli was umpiring in the days of Babe Ruth, the great baseball player. And, uh, you know, he's, George Will writes in this book, he says, quote, Baseball umpires are carved from granite and stuffed with microchips. They are professional dispensers of pure justice. And he said, once when Babe Pinelli called Babe Ruth out on strikes, Ruth made a populist argument. Ruth reasoned fallaciously, as populists do, from raw numbers to moral weight. When uh, Babe Pinelli called him out, Ruth fumed at him. There's 40,000 people in this stadium who know that that last pitch was a ball. And Pinelli replied with measured stateliness, maybe so, but mine is the only opinion that counts. (laughs) You know, uh, we are also pressed by the numbers whether you read in the media, watch the news, everything seems to be leveled against us, aligned against the moral law of God. And yet the Christian knows at the end of the day, there's only one opinion that counts, and that is the opinion and the judgment of the most beneficent empire or umpire in all of human affairs. God is going to make all things right. Truth will come forward immeasurably. You've got to remember that, folks. The sovereignty of God, even though it seems out of control, perhaps personally in your life, wherever you're at today, whether it's health, finances, relationships, uh, the, the world news. Uh, by the way, I, I think I've told you before, I take a sabbatical from the news every week. I used to be a news junkie. And so on Fridays and Saturdays and usually Sundays, I try not to read any news because I figured if anything really exciting happens, you'll tell me. And so I don't have to waste my time reading and watching the news. And I'll tell you, it has helped because, you know, especially in this last couple of years, especially uh, to take a sabbatical from the news, because really, if anything important really happens, you will know about it because your friends who are news junkies will tell you so. Just remember that. But just 
remember that God is the one who is in control. He is the only one whose judgment and opinion stands firm. And so we are to take this action like a soldier preparing for battle. It says, having girded your loins. And this is the idea. It's, it's, it's a middle participle, which basically means that you need to take on uh, this sufficiency that God has given us, this equipment, this truth that God has given us. And the idea is to tighten one's belt. When we think of that phrase, we think of either austerity, you know, we've got to tighten our belt and live more austere, but also to stand in readiness. And this was the idea of uh, a person in battle that they would tighten their belt, make sure everything, all their gear, and actually this belt was the one that held the sword for the Roman soldier. And later on, we'll see that the sword is the word of God. So unless you start with the truth, girding up yourself with the truth of God and live truthfully and in integrity, the sword, the word of truth will not do you any good at that point. Uh, The presence of truth, the picture of truth, and then the presence of truth in our lives, for he tells us there, having girded your lines, this is how we begin to stand firm, is this place of truthfulness. Imagine with me that you're driving down the highway on a windy mountain road and you encounter a warning sign uh, along the highway. It says dangerous curves ahead or it tells you the the recommended speed and gives you one of those wiggly lines that you're driving. And immediately as a driver, you are confronted with a series of choices. Number one, you can observe the sign, slow down and uh, be aware, or you can ignore the warning and maintain your rate of speed or you can oppose the warning and you can speed up. Now, my wife accuses me sometimes of speeding up, you know, because Mario Andretti syndrome, you know, race around a little bit. But whatever the response you exercise, you will not change the truth of the sign. The curve remains dangerous regardless of whether you acknowledge the fact or not. Uh, The content is really the transparent, unconcealed, real state of affairs. And we see that God is truth. And God has revealed his truth. He has a will for us in his word that he's declaring to us. And so uh, one writer, William Gurnall, says that some by truth mean truth of doctrine. Others have it as truth of heart or sincerity. But I think best that comprises both. One will not do without the other. We have to have the foundation of the doctrinal truth to live lives of integrity, to know what God's will is. And that is the characteristic of truth. You know, and that's what God's word does. It's like a lens. It's like the mirror that reflects back to us who we are and who God is. That's one of the standards and consistencies throughout the word of God throughout history is God is who he says he is, and the human condition never seems to change. No matter if our languages are different, our times we live are different, the human condition remains the same, the need of a savior. And so... I think of it as mirrors in a fun house. I don't know if you've ever been to an amusement park that has what we used to call a fun house. I don't know what they call them now. I remember going to Lakeside Amusement Park. It was down for my grandmother's in North Denver. And in the fun house, they had these mirrors that would distort your image. It would distort your image so you look really, really fat or really, really skinny or really, really crooked. They would distort your image. And that's what the world does to us. And we need the clarity of God's word to tell us who we really are. That's why I encourage you to read back through chapters 1, 2, and 3 repeatedly to understand the blessings you have, the wealth you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The source of truth should characterize our life. We are based in the truth. Living without absolute truth is shaky ground, if you will. Uh, We went to a conference one time in Cannon Beach, Oregon, and on our way back, we went up the Washington coast, and we we stayed at Ocean Shores, I believe it was, and in the morning, we got up from our motel and went down to the restaurant, and it was facing the beach and the ocean, and it was like beautiful uh, dining room with two stories of glass looking out to the ocean, and everybody's in this dining room eating breakfast, and pretty soon, I'm thinking I'm getting the flu or something. I'm feeling queasy because everything's starting to move. You know, and then I noticed the lights are moving and the windows are waving like this, and it was an earthquake. And I've been in a couple earthquakes, but that one, that was, I think, a 5.2, then Aberdeen was the center of it. And uh, and it just, all, all of a sudden, we were realizing earthquake, and so a bunch of us were getting up, going to get out of that building. Uh, and then it stopped, and we go, whew, it stopped. And then we looked around, and there were still people just eating their breakfast and drinking their <laughs> coffee. And we asked somebody, what? Why didn't you get up and run? Oh, we're from Southern California. That was nothing. <laughs> and, and that, you know, and it's just like, whoa, shaky ground. And uh, the aspect is, is when we live on shaky ground, when we get used to it, uh, we'll start buying into more and more shakiness, if you will. The unstable ground of untruth. We want to make sure we're on the stable ground of truth. So for us to commit to seeking the truth, God's word is truth. God himself is truth. He will not lead you astray. Commit to believing the truth. Do I believe it? What do I believe and why do I believe it is the key here. And I always try to remind you that I'm not here to make you act religiously, but to think Christianly, to think Christianly. And that's the challenge in my own life. Am I thinking Christianly? In other words, am I running all of this stuff through the grid work of God's theology of Christian living? Is it going through that grid work first before I make decisions and then commit to living out that truth, living out the truth? In the bulletin insert, I quoted uh, Carl F.H. Henry. Uh, He was a giant in evangelicalism in the last century, but uh, he observed, and I quote him, and I printed that there for you too, one generation is lost to the truth of God, to the reality of divine revelation, to the content of God's will, to the power of his redemption, and to the authority of his word. For this loss, it is paying dearly in a swift relapse in the paganism. The savages are stirring again. You can hear them rumbling and rustling in the tempo of our times, unquote. He wrote that 50 years ago, and yet it is so true. We are reaping what we have sown in this country, and we see it all around us. Dr. Henry's insightful comments remind us that our age is marked by a gathering darkness. But we must also know that the forces of darkness will never, never have the last word. One day God will melt down this present earth and recreate it into a habitation fit for the kingdom of his son in the eternal state. In other words, this entire planet has a glorious fresh start awaiting it in God's time. And so in the meantime, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ live in the fact that he is the one who sustains us, provides us with this armor, As we go through these six elements, remember it begins with girding yourself up with the truth. What is truth and where do you find it? Heavenly Father, thank you for your blessings this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it declares the truthfulness of your character. Thank you that we can trust you no matter what our experience and our environment looks like, that you are the almighty God and that we have faith in you. I thank you for 
being with us here today, Lord, and thank you that you are the object of our exaltation and our worship. I thank you again for our guests who are here. And Lord, today I pray for anyone who has never believed in you for everlasting life, knowing that if they believe in you, they can have everlasting life forever and ever, that they are fully convinced that you are who you say you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this morning, for your great grace and your mercy, for it's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand and join with us as we sing our last set?